0: Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. We're continuing our on-again, off-again California narrative here, following up on recent interviews with Jared Schwass and June S. Lee, And we're very pleased to have Steve Allen on the podcast this week. As the CDO of The Parent Company, Steve oversees a growing portfolio of premium cannabis brands in California, including Kaliva, from which Steve hails, and Jay-Z's monogram. Jay-Z, mind you, is the chief visionary officer for The Parent Company, and we touched on some of his direct involvement in this week's interview. The Parent Company launched at the start of this year as the result of a qualifying transaction By Subversive Capital Acquisition Corp., a SPAC that brought several businesses under one roof. It was a major headline in January, and it was exciting to get a chance to talk with Steve about the past 10 months and about what the future holds in California and beyond. So please enjoy my conversation with Steve Allen. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining the show this week. Very glad to get a chance to connect with you and just get a sense of where the parent company is as we sort of round the bend on this first year here in in 2021. Um, You know, I wanted to begin, of course, with the recent news about the acquisition of Coastal Dispensary and just that retail segment of the parent company's portfolio. Uh, Could you maybe describe that acquisition just uh, in general terms, but also what it means for the parent company as things stand right now in the fall of 2021?
1: Yeah, no, we're, we're thrilled about the, the opportunity here to, to join forces with the, the coastal folks. You know, we've been you know, looking since the, the, the time timeframe uh, back in, in January when we, we, we listed on the NEO, uh, really at opportunities to expand our direct-to-consumer footprint. We really believe in you know, that, that still the nascency of the cannabis days that, uh, you know, that direct-to-consumer interaction is incredibly important at this point in time. And that really when you look very specifically at California, you have a state that despite you know almost coming up on 25 years worth of of legal medical cannabis, uh, really with that shift to, to recreational, you know, you went from over 10,000 dispensaries to under a thousand. We really have an access problem out there for, for California uh consumers. And so we really have been looking at opportunities to be able to expand our footprint and our reach. And we started the year at about 50% of the, the California population that we could access really by concentrating on the two largest population hubs, uh, being Los Angeles and the Bay Area. And really, we've spent the the majority of, of this year looking at opportunities to be able to expand both organically and inorganically. And and having looked at over you know, 120 dispensaries you know really found that this coastal acquisition was was almost a, a perfect fit in the fact that it didn't have any overlap with the existing geographies that we had uh you know when we looked at uh what what was there this this helps us in combination with with some of the other smaller acquisitions that we've done recently you know one up in, in Sacramento Sacramento a delivery depot another one in Modesto uh, and another one in West Hollywood that these really help us to to round out but that is. we've gone from fifty percent to eighty percent uh you know our original goal was to get up to ninety percent by the end of uh twenty twenty two you know here we are uh, in, in entering q four of twenty twenty one we're at eighty percent and we see a pathway where we may be able to end this year actually at close to that ninety percent so essentially being about a year ahead of schedule on our direct consumer, and a lot of that is because you know coastal was so strategically well positioned in tier one, tier two locations, high traffic locations. And really, you know, they did an incredible job of how we look at, at retail in the future, which is, you know, a lot of cannabis dispensaries, that I think unfortunately uh, have been positioned in some of these cities in less desirable locations. I think that's just as, as, the, the local administrations were getting more comfortable with cannabis. You're now seeing newer ones that are understanding that you really want to put these in in what, what we call you know, class A real estate. And so that's something Coastal was focused on, something that they they really made a key component of what they did. And, and it excited us when we went and, and really looked at their storefronts, looked at locations, mapped it out against the e- existing uh, dispensaries, mapped it out against future licensing what those locations were and really recognized that they had you know, created sustainable locations that even as new and, and, and more expanded, uh, you know, direct to consumer and, and, and retail locations come on board, which we're excited about, making access easier for, for Californians, that these really will be those, those tier one that, that help us you know, maintain, what we think will be a, a leadership position out there in that direct to consumer field.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, just the past few weeks of interviews on, on this podcast series have returned to that theme of, of retail access in California. It just so it happens that we've we've had a few of those conversations. And so this is an important thing to touch on. Um, you know, I'm wondering if you could maybe elaborate a bit on, on that phrase, direct-to-consumer footprint. And now I know that the parent company has a vertically integrated portfolio, and we can talk a bit more about the whole supply chain as the conversation goes on, perhaps. But you know, why is that retail segment so important in, I guess, maybe putting the question a different way, how does the retail segment of a portfolio communicate a company's uh, vision or, or brand mission statement to the consumer, ultimately?
1: Yeah, so I, I think it's really twofold. I think your question, you, you asked it two ways. I think, and I think I'll try to answer both of them, because I think you actually uh, very astutely point out the two components, right? The first is there's just a lack of retail availability. I and mean, if you look at dispensaries on a, a per capita basis, it's equivalent to Florida, right? Which is a medical only state at this point in time. And it's at about a 10th of Colorado. And so when, when you really look at that, there, there is an access problem that California has just been slow to solve, um, Whether that was the slow rolling out at a local level, where there's obviously a, a, an impact on, on COVID and the global pandemic on slowing down those opportunities. We feel like the state has actually turned a corner on that at a local level where you're seeing more and more programs coming online. But those do still take 18 to 24 months. When a city announces, hey, we're going to do a program, you know, by the time they write the rules, have the RFPs, do the scoring and evaluation, issue the licenses, then you go build out the, the locations and get the permits and then Final inspections and state license. You are talking about two year cycle time, and so really for for us when we were looking at this, we, we want an opportunity to, to get out there a little bit faster. And part of that is one, uh, we're now having you know Apple Store allow apps, right? And so consumers are going to begin engaging with cannabis companies in the same way that they are with you know. Uh, a Starbucks or a a DoorDash or an Uber Eats, right? It's, it's going to be kind of a click, click, click and go type of mentality, but it's also going to be something where the consumers, at least we've seen this within the data that we've analyzed, which is direct to consumer for us is omni-channel. It's the ability for you to go physically into a store and talk to somebody. It's the ability for you to have a video chat online with somebody uh, it's the ability for you to place an order and, you know, drive up and, and pick it up quickly and get in and out of the store or even get it brought to you curbside, depending on which which locality you're in uh, or to order for delivery to your house. Right. So, again, it's you know, this concept of cannabis on your terms, which, again, let's let's take the word cannabis out of that. right you can get that from. Home Depot, you can get that from Safeway. I mean, you you name it, you can get it from different providers of consumables out there. I mean, heck, you can even get it from, uh, you know alcohol companies at this point in time. And so for, for cannabis, this really is just about catching up to what the consumer experience is in other areas to make it just as easy and just as accessible for them. And so when we're looking at opportunities out there, we really are looking for great retail locations. That allow for consumers who do want to go into the store to, to enjoy and, and, and get that experience itself. But we're also looking for locations where we have the ability to overlay our proprietary technologies to be able to allow for a great experience for online ordering. And at this point in time, you know, online ordering is 50 to 60% of the, the transaction volume that we're seeing. Uh, within our retail store footprints. And so when you add all that together, you really recognize that consumers need that convenience. And that's our responsibility to be able to provide that to them. And that's really where we've been you know myopically focused here over the past five, six months is how do we really drive to the correct locations to be able to fulfill what that vision is. We're going to continue to, to do organic application. We'll continue to look at, how we solve density questions and a lot more of that organic apply and build up. But right now with this opportunity that exists with the apps now being allowed and, and hopefully what will be a, a safe banking down the, the time horizon, which hopefully will allow for credit cards and whatnot. I mean, this really is that, that opportunity in time to be the best in class provider on that retail direct-to-consumer experience. And so for us, it really was about shoring up that back-end infrastructure so we can execute against that that consumer experience going forward. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, certainly very
0: interesting times, as you mentioned, not only in cannabis, but uh, really in uh, commercial industries all over the world for many reasons. Um, But I wanted to back up a little bit. And, you know, we're about 10 months after the, the formal launch of of the parent company, again, we're talking here in in the middle of October Um, maybe just wanted to back up a little bit to earlier in 2021 and and get a sense from you of some of the goals that were driving uh, this first year of the parent company. And I know that's sort of a broad question. uh, I don't mean it to be, but but whether that's sort of on a more professional slash personal basis for you alone or for the company as a whole, um, what were some of the sort of motivating factors or goals that were driving the parent company to date um, in, in California?
1: Yeah, that's no, a, a great question. I, mean, I think first and foremost, you know, we were bringing together essentially three best in class operators in, in California with a, a capital sponsor being Subversa Capital. And so, you know, bringing together three companies in a de process you know, uh, a, a key focus for us was how do we integrate these? Because ultimately, our goal, right, is to be the most impactful cannabis company that we can be, in. and and really within California, that's about taking this this vertical integration. That's really a requirement because of the nascency of of the industry itself. You don't you don't have an a established, stable supply chain that you can feel comfortable relying upon while you know, continuing to deliver that consumer experience on a consistent basis. And so you really do have to be, you know, more or less vertically integrated to do that. That's why these companies came together under under subversive. And so we had to really go through the integration process of it. And, you know, that's always one of those areas where, you know, you tend to see uh, mergers and acquisitions fail is a failure to integrate correctly. And, you know, we really spent that first four to six months focused on, How we were doing that, we shed redundant assets. Uh, You know, inevitably in these kinds of scenarios, you end up having uh, redundant positions within the company as well. And so we we shed over 70 positions through the process and really got to, you know, a a stabilizing of integration of the three companies themselves. And then at that point, really is where we were turning on the, the acquisition engine. And so that's where you started to see some of those. Early acquisitions that we had, whether it was, uh, you know, on the cultivation side or the the, the retail side, and, and really being being able to fill out the gaps within our vertical portfolio, so that in, within California we can have that most robust vertically integrated platform to be able to to grow and be a, a top player in California, which we truly view as as one of the most important states in cannabis. One, it's the largest legal market today but we still have federal illegality here w- within the U S and to it. It's typically where brands are developed and produced from not, not just within cannabis, but, but in general, you tend to get them either in New York or, or in California. And then they kind of work their way towards the, the, the rest of, of the country. And then uh, eventually internationally. And so when we look at California, being able to win in California, you know, which it doesn't fall into those, limited license state criteria, it really is getting us prepared for when federal legalization does occur, which you know at this point in time we'd say it's a when, not if. Don't know when the when is, but but we know it's it's not a matter of of if just given the amount of states that have been passing regulations here. And so as we look at it, we, we see an opportunity within this to, to execute against that strategy of, of winning within California. But the, the secondary side of this is Really, also, about building you know a sustainable and i would argue the first national slash international cannabis brand because we have had these heavy heavy constraints on geographies to date it 's been very difficult for for a brand to actually build on a, a, a nationwide scale and we see this as kind of that right opportunity to be able to do that, and we have an incredible partnership with with Jay-Z and Rock Nation around Monogram and really believe that, that that is a, a, a flagship brand really can be a differentiator out there in the market. We've recently brought on a new CEO, Troy Datcher comes with, you know, 30 years of CPG brand building and marketing experience. And really it's helping us to, to begin to navigate what that looks like. And so we're, you know, in in conversations about partnerships that, that we can do within other states because we're not looking to go you know, spend $100, $150, $200 million in every state to go build up uh, this redundant infrastructure. We actually have an eye towards kind of long-term when you are going to have interstate uh, transactions taking place. And so really we're looking for the best in class partners out there, have them work with us to produce and develop monogram, and then be able to, to provide those products out there into those markets, meeting the the standards and specs that, that we've put together. And so that's the other like, major initiative that we've been working on here throughout the, the first part of the, of the year. And you know we're, we're hopeful that sometime here in the, in the next one or two quarters, we'll be able to, to provide additional information to the market about how we're looking to execute in some of those other markets with obviously a keen eye towards uh, New York as the other brand building state.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the whole brand building, brand development conversation is uh it's fascinating right now for, for some of the reasons you mentioned there and, and for a whole host of other reasons. And especially when set against this idea of when, not if, with regard to, to federal legalization. You know, it's certainly interesting to watch uh the political trends and the political wins continue to mount. Um, but the but the way that brands are being built and developed alongside that. Is is a very interesting topic in its own right. So I wanted to go back to you know how you had mentioned that vertical integration is almost a you know de facto requirement in California, such as the way the market has developed. But I'm wondering in that vertical integration conversation, if you know having some sort of retail component, uh, like like the recent coastal acquisition news and other acquisitions and other retail channels, if that's a super important component in building a brand, meaning does having vertical integration and having a retail component under that umbrella help to build a brand like monogram because you can meet the consumer where they are, where, and when that brand is being built, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So I think you're, you're spot on here, right? Which is the the consumer experience for them is about the, the the retail and the product side. Right. And so um, ultimately at this point in time, there's still, you know, uh, a, a vast majority of people who are not cannabis users or fall into the canna curious bucket, but not the canna educated bucket. And so, a lot of the ways that you are actually receiving that that education is you are going and having these conversations with the the bud tenders or wellness consultants within these dispensaries or retail outlets. And so, you know, we, we see the ability to uh, provide uh, meaningful, transparent, accurate information to the consumer to help them make an, an informed decision is important at this uh, at this point in time. But th- there have been plenty of, of situations where you know we've been able to to get a consumer through what is a very difficult customer acquisition journey for a a branded product company because you really have limitations on marketing. Right, you can't go buy television advertisements, you, you you even have constraints on where you can stick billboards now. Uh, you know there, there just really isn't the same level of tools that exist in most CPG categories to be able to educate and and win over the consumer to your product. And so, let's say you do go through that whole experience, you do win that consumer over, and then they go to source that product. Well, the reality is, if you don't have that retail or direct consumer footprint, be able to provide that on an omni-channel statewide basis, the reality is it may actually be difficult for your consumer or potential consumer to access your product. And so if you've just created another barrier to them because either that store that you send them to has it out of stock or they don't have their inventory up to date, or we've even had situations where the inventory is in the back but they haven't brought it to the front yet. <laughs> the consumer can't get that product because they just – don't haven't yet stocked the shelf, even though it's sitting back in a receiving uh area within within the dispensary. Uh we've had other situations uh candidly where we've seen it, because we will we'll go in and we'll do um, bud tinder trainings and some of our, our wholesale clients, and you'll go through the process and you'll you'll explain, it, and then we send in secret shoppers afterwards. And the secret shoppers will come back and and essentially say, hey actually you know i asked I asked these questions about these these parent company branded products, and you know here here 's the answers I got which you 're realizing aren 't necessarily accurate portrayals uh, and so you, you really do end up in in those types of situations uh, really controlling that consumer experience inside of a shop or inside of a digital forum for them really allows them to to be able to ask those questions learn about the product, and you as the 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 CPG you know producer, the branded product producer, know that the right information is getting communicated across. Now, look, ten years down the road, are we going to be you know having these same types of issues? No, because you know, the market itself will have matured, the consumer education will have matured, uh, the, the the marketing messaging education components will have matured, and so we'll, we'll see a, a much more reliable and typical cpg environment you know melding together with with a retail environment it just doesn't exist there today and so part of the way i i kind of draw a, a parallel is it's kind of like when starbucks is trying to introduce coffee as a differentiated product right not as as the thing that we all saw as you know this kind of thick sludge that you you, you could pick up at a convenience store you know maybe at a diner type of thing uh, but was actually something where it's a product that could be elevated, incorporated into your day lives and could be customized to match what your need state was. Well, you know, to be able to do that, they had to have those retail footprints to be able to help educate the consumer and guide them through that journey. That's really what we're looking at right now and seeing that same opportunity to be able to do that and, and be able to develop with that experiences for the consumer and that's where i'm saying it's kind of a prerequisite uh well it's prerequisite in the fact that vertical you can't rely on the full supply chain at this point in time and then prerequisite in that the consumer experience and, and what they're experiencing because canvas can be intimidating when you're you're new to it right it's almost like inside baseball you know three to one and these terpenes and this profile and these active ingredients and and you know, really creating a comfortable environment for consumers to ask those questions, to see and experience it. We feel like is important because we're, we want to be able to take it from, you know, a quarter of the popu- the over 21 population being cannabis consumers upwards to close to three quarters of the the over 21 population being able to, to enjoy and experience cannabis on a regular basis. S- similar types of figures that we've seen. know with alcohol and so that's really where we look at it and see an opportunity to to be able to be a guiding force within that that education and that that you know reintroduction to to cannabis for a lot of folks
0: yeah sort of on a similar note um maybe more so about just the, the history of cannabis and some of the social and political context around cannabis uh, was uh, a pretty visible moment, I thought, for, for Monogram and the parent company earlier this year when Monogram launched the awareness campaign around just some of the, the legal and uh, historical context around the plant. And obviously this, this has really seemed like a, a pillar of of the parent company's mission. Um, and certainly I think it'd be fair to say that, you know, Jay-Z and, and Rock Nation may be household names, um, but a lot of this history needs to be communicated. And uh, And maybe it does help that that Jay-Z and Rock Nation are, are familiar entities, but it does need to be communicated within the context of this new industry. So I just wanted to get a sense from you of, of the importance of those messages. And this is both uh, the awareness campaign around cannabis laws themselves, but also just social equity policies uh, more immediately in the cannabis industry. You know, it seems like a, an important part of the parent company. Uh, could you sort of elaborate on, on uh, the role of all that in, in how the parent company is, is moving forward?
1: Yeah, so there's quite a few uh, good points that you brought up there that, that are are key critical components of of what we feel at the parent company is, is a combination of, of you know our opportunity and our responsibility at, at the same time. Um, you know, from from an opportunity perspective, we are battling a fifty year war on drugs. You know, a, a egg in a frying pan. Uh, just say no. I mean, so, some of these images that are kind of indelibly marked in, in people's brains, uh, r- really, un- unfortunately, a-, a lot of of misinformation and ignorance around what that was. And, you know, erasing that isn't something that you can just, you know, snap your fingers and, and do overnight. And so really, as we look at it, cannabis has come a very long way over the past seven years where we really had recreational cannabis for, for the first time. and. Um, you know, it's awesome to see, but it still has a long journey to go. And as we look at it, being able to take cultural icons such as Jay-Z and and the talent that exists within Rock Nation and be able to to help with that education will help cause people to ask questions. They're like, but why? Or should I be more curious about this? Or how can I go learn more about this? Now, we think that that's, you know, important for, for the industry broadly. We think it's also important for, the consumers and, and picking their own uh, you know pathway towards their 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 wellness right. We want them to be able to understand and incorporate cannabis in their daily lives, whether that's you know for pain, sleep, anxiety uh, conditions, or whether that's just an alternative form of of relaxation or and or escapism that comes with you know uh, few, fewer side effects than, than what you know currently exists out there. So for us, it's really important. That we're out there helping to educate, helping to raise that awareness, and solve some of these awareness problems. And so, you know, our, our hypocrisy campaign and our state lines campaigns were really to help call some of those things out. Whether it was the idea that you know on a border between you know Colorado and Wyoming, you you could literally have a scenario where you're having billions collected in tax revenues, or if you have an ounce of weed, you could go to jail for over ten years. And you're like, it's it's kind of incredible to think that you crossing a, a, a invisible boundary causes you to have what, what one perspective or another perspective on the exact same plant that exists there. Um, some of the other proxy campaigns, as you saw, you know, running across the country, you know, calling out some of these these rules and, and, and laws. And one one of my favorite is you can uh, light, light a light a joint with a flamethrower and you'd get arrested in, in more states for the joint than you would for the flamethrower. <laughs> and it's just it's kind amazing. of ir- <laughs> incredible when you think about it from that perspective. And so we look at it as part of the the role and responsibility and opportunity combination here that exists for the parent company and our, and our partners uh, is really to be able to elevate that awareness, create that awareness. Bring some dignity to cannabis because it's it's actually having to dig itself out of a reputational hole that you know isn't well deserved, but had, has just occurred over 50 years. And so you know that that's part of what our, our goal is is there specifically on that awareness side. Another key component that we view as a, a core foundational responsibility of the parent company, you know, frankly, that we believe for for all large cannabis operators, because we do believe over time, you know, you you are going to have, you know, consolidation of the curves, but there's this unique opportunity, this unique window that exists right now, which is, there's, there's really, I, I can't think of any time in history, at least not during my, my lifetime, uh, where you can look at it and say, wow, there's a business that exists out there that already has, tens of billions of dollars of demand embedded. It's essentially, in most cases, being serviced by an illicit market. And so you've got this opportunity to take consumers, provide them a better quality product, a cleaner product, a more consistent product, a more consistent experience. So you're improving their experience while just meeting an embedded demand that exists there. And so we're really creating a a 30, 40, 50-year growth cycle here within cannabis and it's almost indicative of what we've just seen happen in technology from the 80s 90s early 2000s up to where we are right now it's it's this incredible growth cycle of innovation and learning and incorporation into the daily lives but if we go look at, at you know the technology industry as an example you're talking about low single digits of Diversity around the, those that are the, the owners, operators of these businesses; those that are the financiers of these businesses, and so you really don't see that that diversification that could potentially exist there. And, and we look at it and say it's it's something that you got to do at the at the beginning when when the when the roots are being sprouted. It's not something that you can add once you you've, you've grown out. A redwood forest right it's it's too late when you have those giants but like hey we're going to try and create some diversity uh opportunities and we're going to try and create a more robust uh experience you know, a, a, across the platform well we can do that in cannabis like that's the, the really exciting part about right now is that we are in the early stages of it we do have the opportunity to attempt to, to write some of the, the wrongs the war on drugs have, have caused that disproportionately targeted people of color. And we have a chance to do it by establishing a supply chain today that is diverse, that does include these entrepreneurs of, of, of color within cannabis that does treat this, this framework that allows us to really start to build it from the, the beginning. And you could almost, you know, it, it, it you know, may sound a little hyperbole, but you, could, you could almost like a, a PayPal mafia type of thing, or if you go and you you actually kind of neural network, or you build off of what happened within the technology space, you can see how early entrepreneurs and early successes then went out and built, you know, the, the versions two, version three, version four of the future, and really kind of created this almost coaching tree type, type of scenario. And we feel like that's something that we can impact and influence right now. And we feel like the uh, both local level and state level government officials have done a really good job of trying to incorporate the concept of social equity into their programs. I'd argue New York's probably doing the best of it at a, at a state level, um, but there's, there's hiccups, there's bumps in the roads, there's learnings. I mean, unfortunately you've seen Los Angeles, you know, get mired in two years worth of, of lawsuits that actually lost some of those entrepreneurs, tens of millions of dollars Uh, But we're learning, we're we're evolving, we're figuring it out. And we think that there's this this great opportunity that exists. The problem is there isn't the access to the funding. With this being federally illegal, uh, you don't have traditional access to capital, which is already difficult to have acquired for for an entrepreneur of color without the federal illegality overhang. And so really what we saw is that there's a funding gap that exists right now. And so we did form a, a $10 million social equity venture fund that, you know, a, a, a corporate venture fund where we are making investments into entrepreneurs of color that we think really can, can be foundational game changers within the industry. But well, that's what we've done with, with Peaks and Jesse and what he's thinking about from a consumer branding experience all the way through even, you know, the, the, how an NFT lens can, can come across. and and provide additional value within the space itself as it's first getting started or, or what Whitney is doing with, with Josephine and Billy's, you know, a, a retail experience targeted towards women of color, uh, really trying to to cater to, to their needs and, and kind of a a speakeasy throwback concept. And uh, she wants to build, you know, chains of this across the country that really are catering to and providing an experience to, to women of color on canvas. I mean, these are incredible entrepreneurs that have amazing vision, amazing talent, understand what to do within their respective areas within the canvas industry that find themselves struggling to access capital. And we find ourselves being that bridge and, and initial capital trying to do that. And then hopefully to get others to, to co-invest alongside or to follow on and, and really start to build these uh, visions and build these, these businesses that then you know are incredibly important is for, for the Jesse's and the Whitneys when they've done that to then be coaching others and then to hopefully find financial success and then reinvest some of that profit back into the next wave of, of entrepreneurs. And you know, for us, we feel like this is such a seminal moment within the cannabis industry to be able to, to do this. And you know, we're really hoping this serves as a as an example to others. We know. You know, $10 10 is both a lot of money and not a lot of money, right? It really needs to be a billion dollars if you're talking about really supporting wide scale. Um, And so we're hoping that as an industry, we can demonstrate by example and have others uh, follow along. And then if we can do that and we can build it on local levels and state levels and eventually national levels, then we can create that diverse supply chain and, and really build an industry from the ground up that's far more inclusive than anything we've seen in history.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I love hearing it put that way and just hearing all these different elements come together and we've got the past, the present and the future of cannabis all sort of working at once as sort of an evolving process. And it's just exciting to hear all those moving parts. And of course, um, you know, Steve, it's it's really great to get a chance to connect with you and just hear from you on, on your perspective of the industry out there in California and beyond, but also just the entire parent company as as things continue. Um, So I really love that last answer there. And I think that's a great sort of parting note and uh, definitely will plan to keep in touch. But until then, Steve, uh, thank you for joining us on the show this week and really appreciate your time. This was great.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Uh, You know, very thoughtful, informative questions. Appreciate the, the dialogue and look forward to speaking again soon.
0: And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. That is number 20, folks. We've been at it for a while here and starting to really get our footing with uh, the creative direction of the podcast and the uh, Connections to Cannabis Conference, both in 2021 and our upcoming show in August 2022. And it's been a great ride so far. Really hope you're enjoying the interviews. I know I am. Talking with Steve Allen there from The Parent Company was fantastic, and he had a lot of great insights, again, on California and, and really beyond. I mean... You know, there's a sense of growth throughout the entire cannabis industry right now. And I think some of the things that Steve was talking about taps into that forward looking perspective. I also wanted to shout out, while we're here, the October issue of Cannabis Business Times. Make sure if it's not sitting in your mailbox or at your office or at your home that you're checking it out at cannabisbusinesstimes.com. We've got Ball Family Farms from Los Angeles on the cover. And just wanted to point to uh, the quick tips. That's in every magazine, the Quick Tips Department. Uh, This month features four tips to meet consumer demand in growing cannabis markets. Just like we're saying, all these markets are sort of growth-oriented. The sky is really the limit in cannabis. These are the early years, and you're going to want to make sure that you and your business are doing everything to meet that demand where it's going. So we've got a couple tips for you in this issue, and of course coming up soon in our December issue... That's the issue at the end of the year, every year, where we roll up dozens and dozens of different tips for cannabis businesses. So make sure that uh, if you don't have that subscription already, make sure you get that in so that the December issue can come right to you wherever you are. In the meantime, every Friday, meet me right here on the Show.